the magic of the Sunstone, you're tuned into the Jewel Riders Archive. Hey Jewel fans, Chris from the Jewel Riders Archive here. Just wanted to let you know that our interview with Greg ran a little long, so we end a little bit abruptly. Just rest assured there's a second part coming, so look forward to that, and I hope you enjoy. Alright, bye-bye. Hi Jewel fans, I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie from the Jewel Riders Archive. We're here today with a super special guest, returning champion to the archive, but first time on the Jewel Riders Archive podcast, we have the art director of the show, Greg Atore. Welcome, Greg. Hey, glad to be here. We're so excited to have you on the show today because you've been such a wealth of information about Jewel Riders to us, of you know, various artistic bits and pieces that you fit together sort of for fandom history purposes. So we're really excited to talk to you about those today and just learn a little bit more. Well, and Princess Guinevere really was like a year and a half of my life that I spent doing just Princess Guinevere or, or at least mostly Princess Guinevere. So I was, you know, emotionally bonded into that show because it meant so much to me. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and there's a lot of bits of me in that. And it was interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm listed as, as the, as the creative director. And in some ways I was less than that than the standard title. And in some ways I was more than that. And it's just kind of interesting the way it all worked together in kind of a big mix of talents all working together. So when you said that you know, you were more than that, or that maybe that wasn't quite right. If you could have given yourself a title, what would you have given yourself for the show? That's actually a good question. Um, Because creative director might still be the best viewpoint from that. And it's funny because different industries use that that title differently. Um, Often a creative director doesn't have anything to do with the script. Mm -hmm. And that's all done with the writers. And I actually it was very rare that I had that opportunity to do that. And I still look at that as just a high, high point of, of my entire toy design career, toy and marketing design career. And, um, and yet, because usually the creative director is often just looking at the visuals. And so I was able to design do... work, not story. Typically. Yes. Yes. Okay. And and it's more of the director working with his writing staff that that does the the scripts and the characterization, and then it kind of goes to the creative director, and the creative director often just does the visuals. But it does, you know, it varies depending upon what studio you're at. So in, in this particular case, actually, we should probably go back to the beginning of how all of this started, which is yeah. how Kenner actually decides what properties they want to they want to make toys out of and so you worked for kenner for a number of years and i believe you've also worked for mattel is that correct yes actually my my very first toy job was with mattel i started there in 84 and i left in 94 and then i went from mattel directly over to Kenner, which would, had just been purchased by Hasbro. I see. Okay, so post post the big years of Star Wars at Kenner, 
and then into their purchase by Hasbro later on. Yes, they had been purchased before I took the job. Okay. I, I took the job partly because it was one step working close, one step closer to working on GI Joe. Which, <laughs> okay. Which I take I, it is your passion. Yes, yes, and and my my biggest passion with toys is actually the twelve inch figures. Whether they are like I did the original Beauty and the Beast dolls, twelve inch ones, and mm-hmm. you know Aladdin and all of those, the Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, I, I created all of that over at Mattel, and so that's just part of the love that I have of working it into GI Joe and and so many others that I did too, like the Matrix figures and and um, there was figures that were uh, soldiers of valor, Americans of valor, and um, and so many others that I created that never saw the light of day. I mean, there's so many toys that get designed. You know, at least four times as many toys get designed as what's ever shown on a shelf. I mean, I, I did 12-inch figures for Crocodile Hunter, for um, Wild Wild West. Oh wow. For, uh, Red Planet, I think was the name with with Val Kilmer. Uh, Mad Max was another one. Um, so many really cool the, ones. There's a funny. child friendly property. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a collector company that was bringing that out. Interesting. Well, well now, more. Greg, since you brought it up about your history yeah. of Mattel, and you know, for me personally, I think that a lot of people already know that I have a passion for Disney and also for Barbie and Mattel in general. So it was very interesting for me to learn about your history with that particular company and the creative design work that you did for the Disney properties. Um, and I know it might be a little off topic for Jewel Writers, but I mean, I would like to hit on that a little bit because when we'd originally asked you about previous experiences, you had specifically called out um, Popples, Hooks, Peppermint Rose, G.I. Joe, Trolls, and then uh, Skipper Doll, I'm sorry, Stacy. So I, I think that there's a lot to be heard about. I mean, like, was Stacy, like, were you just part of the creative team? Did you actually dream up the idea of Stacy? Or what? what's, kind of, let's take it step by step. So let's first just find out about Barbie over here. What, what was your role kind of in the Barbie family world? So for Barbie, I only was on Barbie for, I think, an eight-week stint. They at, at this particular time at Mattel, and this was before 1990, so between 84 and 90, they had these design or they had these groups that were brainstorming group that they would form. And they'd take people out of their normal teams, like they may take a boys toys designer from wings and wheels and an action figure designer and a sculptor and someone from the girls non Barbie group, the large and small dolls group, or, and, and they would mix these people together or even a you know, preschool person. And they'd see what they could come up with for new ideas. And in this particular, in, in this particular case, I was part of one of those groups and we were tasked with what could you come up with? that was fresh for Barbie. And I did two different things for that brainstorming session, that like eight week brainstorming session, maybe it was four weeks. One was I created a full Barbie circus, which was really cool. Um, like a full yes, on circus. Yes, full on circus. <laughs> wow. Barbie was the, was the ringleader. 
Okay. Um, and I do have pictures of these that I can get to you later so you can post some of oh them. Oh my gosh. I would yeah, love to see Trapeze Artist Ken or something. I don't know what I, there was. <laughs> we did a Trapeze Artist Barbie. Okay. We did Ken. We did a Barbie that was a clown too. Ken, I think, might have been a lion tamer. Ooh. Not yes. sure. It might, it may have been, maybe it was a leopard. I don't know if I have pictures of that one though. And then. Barbie also had a trained zebra, which was really cool. Unless it was Skipper. They all had different functions. They were they were cute. Um, they, what ended up killing it was interesting because it's always a matter of people who were in charge. The, the VP of design at the time, who was a wonderful lady, she, um, she just had a thing against circuses because of the way they treated animals. Which, oh. You know, People can understand that, and obviously because of the new Dumbo movie, um, right. you know that's much more in the forefront now than it was then. And I, I remember going to the Ringling Brothers Circus backstage. We snuck in one day and um, pretended we worked there, and and we could see all the animals in cages. And I actually felt real bad for them, but I still love circuses and, and mm -hmm. love clowns. Um, right. And so that was one of the concepts, and it didn't go very far. It got shot down real quick. Oh, there was a third one, and it was. Oh, this was this was Hart Family because I worked actually I worked on Hart Family for one full season also, and that was there was a fun one in there that was I wanted to bring in I, they had the they had the grandparents Grandpa right. Hart Grandma Hart I brought in an aunt which I thought was and so she was a little older than than Mrs Hart she kind of like the big sister and. Um, and I made a full kitchen where everything could move in it. You, know, you could you could plug things in and you could have the blender work or the mixer work or and it was basically the aunt teaching the kids to cook, which was you know to bake and things like that. There was some there was some a bowling set with them too, a family bowling set with Hart Family, um, and of course the Disney stuff for Hart Family. I worked on that line. I did I did some. There was another person who did most of the work, and I was just kind of somewhat in charge of that particular small team at the time. But Stacy was the big one. So here was my thought process. Originally, when girls were playing with Barbie, they were more like the Skipper age. They were eight-year-olds. And over the and, and at the time, Skipper was originally like a 10-year-old. Later, they made uh, like a sweet 16 skipper, and then that's a, that was kind of different. But the age group that was buying Barbie kept dropping lower and lower. And so it was down to like three to six-year-olds were playing with Barbie. And yet, there wasn't a figure of that age range in the Barbie world. And I thought, you know what? If that's the children that are playing with Barbie... They would probably like one too. So what I had done was I had positioned it as Stacy, Barbie's little sister. And she would want to be like Barbie. So her original costume design was she had taken her big sister's pink letter jacket and wore it, even though it was too big for her and it was kind of wrinkled up on the sleeves but she wanted to be like her big sister. And then, but she fashioned it also. She put on a, a, a hip hat and some things like that and had a cute little mini skirt with it. 
the version that finally shipped the it was actually close to what my original vision was except the little jacket she had was no longer a letter sweater but uh, in, a, in order to make the doll too what we did because tooling is very expensive so i was always rearranging toys to reuse tools i took the body from lady lovely locks and then we took interesting yes yeah now, Lovely Lady Locks, I, I, not to divert for just a second, but what company made that toy? I, I actually no. don't know. Mattel. Mattel did? Oh, it was Mattel. I was on yeah. the team that worked on it, although none of the designs that I created actually shipped. Oh, that's um, upsetting. Yeah, but it was, they had other – at that time, we kind of – like when you get new properties, you kind of see that, hey, this one person really understands this character more. So she got more of the Lady Lovely Locks stuff. I was more specializing in plush. So at that time, I was actually doing like hooks and turtle tots. So I was pretty busy doing that. The one thing that I thought was fun, and I still have a picture someplace, was I created a, a theme for Lady Lovely Locks that was Hawaiian. Okay. But oh, what I did is so I, cute. <laughs> it was because her grass skirt was a hair skirt. It was all made of pixie tails. And it was so cute. Hmm. just adorable but they went a different direction that year i forgot which way they like they went but um it was still cute i know i have someplace i have a picture of that we'll have to dig it out yeah, yeah no I, I just love that. the the amount of behind the scenes photos and just information that you have i mean it truly is interesting because so many of these properties i think it also has to deal with the fact that the fans are all that same age but like for instance one of the one of the fans of jewel writers she also loves lovely lady locks so um i'm sorry lady lovely, lady locks. lovely locks but yes. you know it, it's the fact that you know all these people kind of played with all these same toys and so when you're talking about stacy i can remember also when barbie's little sister kelly came out and i remember yes. i wanted kelly so bad i think it just had to do with the fact that I loved Barbie and because Barbie's family was growing, I was like, okay, I, I want all these different pieces of it. And when you're also talking about the Hart family, I, I think I remember the Hart family either going to Disneyland or there was like a, a Disney set or something to do with that. But I could have swore I remember like all of them, like it was a big set. It was like the, you know, the the dad figure, the mom figure, and then like the children. And you're like, you just, you want this because again, as a child and you're role playing, you're dreaming about your future family. You're dreaming about the, you know, the family that you will have. And at least for me, that's how I identified with it as well. You know, of course I wanted to be Barbie, but you know, like I saw it as that is how I want my family to be essentially. Yes. So especially like when you're talking about like, oh, like all the kitchen stuff work. Like I remember there was also other sets at Mattel that were like called so much to do. And I had those ones there was like the kitchen, there was the grocery store. So again, I mean, I think it just, it's so important to know who your target market is, who your audience is, like how you're saying, you know, the children that were playing with Barbie wasn't of that age and they wanted someone that they could identify with. Yeah, I, I find that I, I always go back to who's going to play with this toy because that is very, very important. I'm not just making toys that are fun for me to play with. I want to make sure that the, the the child who's going to play with this will be able to do it. You know, whatever feature I have on there, 
but will also love it and be part of what they're interested in in that time period. Right. So Were you influenced by a toy from your childhood? Oh, so many toys. Um, Anything off the top of your head? Well, G.I. Joe, of G.I. Joe, I was just going to suggest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Captain Action, which was – so G.I. Joe came out in 1964. I'll try not to talk too much about G.I. Joe. No, uh, no, please do. But, You're um, fine. So he he ran from 64 to – he ended in um, 77, I think was the last year. When in there, he transitioned into the adventure team, which was the less military version. But in those years, it was like the golden age of 12-inch figures when I was playing with toys. And so there was a Captain Action, which was by Ideal. And it was another 12-inch figure, like a G.I. Joe. You could still use the same clothing, but he was a superhero. But then you could buy accessory sets for him to make him into Superman or Batman or Lone Ranger, or Phantom, um, all of these really cool, you know, there were, there were about a dozen different sets, and then there was actually a boy, Action Lad, Action Boy, sorry, and he could make into Aqua Lad, or Robin, or Superboy, um, really cool, and of course, there was also the gigantic Marx line, which was the best of the West, which was Johnny West and Jane West. And you, and then there was Johnny West, Jane West, Jamie West. Forgot the other boy's name. I'm very disappointed in myself. Then there was Josie and Janice West. And it was had a family. A I'm sensing a J theme going on yeah. here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you had two boys that were about this, the age of about, say, 10, 12 and two girls, then you had a mom and dad, then you had all these other characters, though. You, you had bad guys, you had Native Americans, you had the sheriff, um, you had a trapper. Um, it was really cool. And, I, and, then, and then my other really favorite by the same company, Marks, was the, the knights, noble knights and Vikings, where you had full suits of armor that you could put on these characters. And it was just astounding. And actually, that is key to Princess Guinevere later on. So we'll 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 connect back oh, to that. I like this. I like where this is going. Figures are were, were were my favorite thing. And as a as a child, what I did was I pretended those were my actors and I would get them all set for their next mission or movie I was reenacting or whatever. And so it was always let's go dress everyone up, let's get them set, let's go do the whatever the action was. And Getting them all dressed and set was half of the fun for me, which is ironic because what I ended up going into before toys was costume designs. And so I actually did costumes for at least a dozen, you know, no, probably more like 20 plays. And this was only in the years up to like my first or second year in college. I, I did a ton from high school and and little little theaters and college, and I was really into costumes, and I expected that's where my profession would lead me. But then I ended up joining a, entering a toy contest from Mattel that was like, you know, design a toy, win a prize. Um, and so I did this, and I thought, well, I love toys. I'll go make a toy. And I've been making stuffed animal puppets and things like that, and stuffed animals, and and I was having a blast with that. 
And so I went ahead and made something and entered it. And it had a lot of soft goods on it. I had basically taken the old inkworm that Hasbro had had, and it was kind of off the market or had been wasn't as popular anymore. So I took it and I made a big dragon head and tail and called it Nessie, the bobbing sea serpent. <laughs> uh, drew a cute little picture of a child hugging it, and then I made a full model. And when I made the model and I showed it, they said this is really nice. Who made this for you? And I said, I made it. And here's my portfolio and shoved my portfolio. In front of <laughs> Please hire me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's um, awesome. I thought, you know, and, and it has to do with, you know, people say that opportunity is when luck meets preparation or timing meets preparation. So I knew I had a shot and I took it. And the irony was, when we got done with my presentation, one of the people said, hey, are you interested in a summer job? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And so <laughs> it gave me a form to fill out. And I'm like, I knew my handwriting wasn't great. So I ran home, I rode my bike back home from the university. This was at Arizona State University at the time. And, uh, and then I typed it and brought it right back. And then I never heard another word. I'm like, okay. Okay, I guess I didn't win anything. So I actually called over to the to the the office at the university that was hosting the event. It was the design department, uh, the industrial design department, and they were really arrogant. And they were like, "Ow, if you had won, someone would have told you." And I'm like, uh, "Okay, guess that's over." And then two days later, I got a phone call going, "Hey, can you start on the sixth at Mattel?" <laughs> and so i went to mattel with a three-month summer job and stayed for 10 years that's awesome <laughs> isn't that how jobs like that always start out it's like oh it was a summer job and then from there i just stayed on and just decades never later, left yeah. there. <laughs> all right I could let me jump back that. to stacy for a moment sorry yes, of course please do um this is one other kind of interesting part if you look at stacy's head she looks an awful lot like skipper a little and bit. the reason she looks an awful lot like Skipper is because I took the Skipper head and you, if you make, we had a, they were making the rotocast heads in that building, test heads, which is a really cool process. But if you mix the formula slightly different, it has more of one chemical than the other. And then if you put it into a chemical vat of naphtha and toluene, incredibly explosive. Yes, I was going to say toluene is very flammable. Exactly. We, in fact, we had to have the cans attached with wires in case they, something might spark a ground oh. wire. But it would leach out the some of the material from it and shrink the head. And that, so after two or three processes of this, it slowly shrunk the skipper head down so it was just the right size to fit on Lady Lovely Locks. And that was the original skipper. I'm sorry, that was the original Stacy. But the funny thing was... Stacy actually shipped first as part of the Hart family as like a, it was a wedding set or was it a PJ's wedding? Maybe it was PJ's wedding, but she was a flower girl first. Even so though the other sort of slipped all... in as not quite Stacy. Exactly. Exactly. Because they realized, wait a second, you guys are working on this. Can I use it over here? We did that often. In fact, I, one thing that annoyed me was I had created this feature for the Sleeping Beauty doll for the 12 inch Barbie size Sleeping Beauty doll where mm -hmm. with um, 
color change, you could make her eyes go from open to close, which the color change engineers told me was impossible, but I found a way to do it. But anyway, so I created this great feature for that, but because of the sequencing of when we were releasing things, the other people in the company looked at it and said, oh, I want that. And so it went onto a Barbie. That feature went onto a Barbie with a soft body, I think. So she could open and close her eyes. And then it went on to Little Miss. So she could open and close her eyes. And so when we finally got to go launch Cinder Sleeping Beauty, the, the head of, of the department was like, well, you know, people have seen that feature before. It's like, yes, but that's not fair. I created it for Sleeping <laughs> You created it for that. You know, the entire Disney line actually has water features on it. So I guess we have you to think because like the dwarves, you know, have different special effects on like whether it's jewels or their dirt is on their face. And then the um, the Aurora, like you, how you said, you know, she closes and opens her eyes. Um, I don't know if the other, I don't think the other lines have anything that's like that but I, I just know that the snow white and the sleeping beauty do yeah and there was actually some other ones too we um we had it on cinderella oh yeah we, we i think we took that off though yeah because i cinderella was big do anything yeah <laughs> I mean, lovely you know but <laughs> yes and i made sure that every one of the dwarves had something that was a function with its arms and had a color change function in it too mm -hmm. and uh so that was pretty cool. In fact, so all of the dolls, all of the Disney 12-inch figures, I did the initial design on every one up until the last few for Aladdin, and I didn't touch Pocahontas, anything that shipped. So, but so, everything else, all of Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, um, Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, and a bunch for the parks too. We we did we did Mary Poppins. We did a um, Tinkerbell. Pirates of the Caribbean figure. We Pirates. Did... There's a Davy Crockett one as well. Davy Crockett did him too. Yeah. In fact, he's I, he's. I his have most of those. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, that's I a fun story. <laughs> that's a, that's a yeah. nice reuse. Yeah, and actually, oh. I, I designed a ton more of those for the parks, but they ended up not moving as far as quickly as they wanted, so I didn't get to well, do the rest. I think that you also had talked about some unproduced Peter Pan ones. I think that there was the mermaid and there was some other stuff that you were talking about that you had worked on. Was that correct? Yes, actually, because we only shipped Peter, Wendy, and Tink. Tinkerbell. And actually, let me, here's actually a, a really fun story. Let me go back in time a little bit before that, which is Mattel had just created a arrangement with Disney where they became, I forgot what they called it, a some type of a corporate partner. And like corporate alliance? Corporate alliance, yeah. They were they were one of like 10 companies that joined with, with them in this special relationship. And so they wanted to do more with Disney. And so they were looking at doing a Cinderella doll, and they gave the job to the Barbie group. And the Barbie group at the time, arguably the best fashion doll designers in the world, took a look at it and they made it modern and they said, let's make it Cindy. And they just, they took Cinderella <laughs> and they tried to make her modern and Disney just cringed and they were ticked because they'd walked away from everything that was Cinderella. And so my boss, my, actually the VP at the time came to me and said, Hey, I want you to make a Cinderella doll. Don't spend a whole lot of time on it, but just see what you can do. See if you can pull something out of this. So I started working on it and then I realized, wait a second. I can make all these Cinderella characters and I've been starting to make the whole line of them. And I realized 
Disney re-releases their videos every seven years. Mm -hmm. If I combine them together, I can have an evergreen line that never dies. So let's put out Sleeping Beauty the first, or Cinderella the first year. And then next year, we'll put out Sleeping Beauty and still sell some, some Cinderella's until she kind of goes through. And then, then when the next film comes out, we'll put that one out. We'll keep re-releasing them. And so that's actually what we did. We ended up starting with Cinderella. We went to, I think Sleeping Beauty was second, and then we did Snow White, and then we did Beauty and the Beast. And, um, and we, we rolled them in, and, and that is what combined them together for the first time. I was even told, if Disney doesn't like this idea, just step back, because they may get very upset. But I showed them dolls for 10 different worlds of fashion dolls, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, um, all of these. I even I even had a Fantasia set that was just beautiful. Which oh, that's oh, a, that killed that like strikes me in the heart. <laughs> yes, it was. I made the most adorable Skipper Centaurette ever. It was just to die for. Um, and so I showed all these worlds, and 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 their eyes just went kaching, 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 and they exactly. fight. They, they <laughs> fight. I was the child who was giving them all that money. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> they'd never combined the characters together up until that point, mm-hmm. and so I was the one that convinced them to do it. And one of the other funny things is Sleeping Beauty. I had made it a dress that was in pink, and then it could transfer to blue because I always loved that in the film. It always cracked me up. And also one of the days I. When I was stuck and couldn't come up with anything, I went back to Disneyland, which always gave me new ideas. And I was walking through the tower in the castle set, and there was a feature there that showed, it was just little doll sets of a thing that you walk through. Right, the Sleeping Beauty castle walkthrough. The Sleeping Beauty castle walkthrough with the dolls, which is my favorite. They would change the light and make her dress pink and blue because it was a white dress, and they just Mm -hmm. did it with light. So I'm like, wait, how can I do that with fabric? Oh, here's your own personal light, children. (laughs) Sort of like light set up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) So what I ended up doing was I I did that. And so you could reverse the skirt from pink to blue. And then it had a covering on the top. You could take off the pink covering. It would be blue. And they they were saying, okay, that's nice, but she needs to be blue. I said, okay, I agree with you. She's wears the blue outfit more than any other in the film. But one, she is pink in your film, but also look around the room. Cinderella, blue and white. Sleeping Beauty, blue and white. Alice in Wonderland, blue and white. And I just kept pointing to them. Blue, and in fact, they were all blue and white with blonde hair. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, can we please break this up? And they, and then they were like, uh, oh, okay. And they, they got it, and it at that point. And, um, and, and so now, now we've been when cursed with only pink sleeping beauty. Well, I was gonna say, and now the irony is, is that now you only ever see Aurora in pink. It's very rare that you see her in blue now. And that's my fault. Well, <laughs> we won't blame you for it. I mean, because pink is my favorite color, so I like the pink on Aurora. But it is just funny that now fans of Aurora, I often hear it like, you know, they'll say, "Oh, we wish that they had more merchandise with her in the blue gown versus the pink gown." So I guess you yeah. started something and they never really looked back. I mean, that's interesting that before that, though, she'd never really been featured in her pink outfit. She was always in blue. Yeah. Always. 
That's interesting. I was not aware of that. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of like promotional merchandise and things like that from like the 80s and things like that, 70s, she's always in the blue dress. Yeah, I'm I'm always on a quest for blue Aurora. Yeah. This happened in 1990. (laughs) So from 1990 on, she pretty much only stared pink. Now, Greg, were you also around when Disney was coining, or I think that this might have been actually much later than probably like the early 2000s then, but from when that whole collaboration of all the Disney, you know, characters together to be the Disney classics, at least for the doll line, to how it transformed into the Disney princess line? Actually, they did it exactly one year from the time where I showed them everything. Oh, really? And it was it was very interesting because it was at a Disney licensing convention and I was there and they unveiled this to the whole public. Look what we came up with. <laughs> we put all the Disney princesses together. And I sat there going, I did that. Mm-hmm. Am I going to get any credit for this? And of course, you know, I never did. <laughs> but uh, I just it just thought it was interesting. It was like, yes, yes, our grand new idea. But, well, that's Disney for you. Not that I'm ever bitter. <laughs> the funny thing, though, was, I mean, the the people, the people I work with at Disney, you know, they um, they really enjoyed working with me because I knew their properties extremely well. In fact, on several occasions, I out geeked the experts. Well, what and is your funny. favorite Disney movie, just out of curiosity, or Disney character? Well, Disney character is goofy. Um, okay. Because I I now will not I, I I have to wear a goofy hat every time I go to one of the Disney parks. <laughs> you know? um, it's funny too because I, I I have two right now. I've got one from the '90s, which is big molded one, which is just beautiful. The one with and the foam bill. What, say again. Is it the one with the foam bill? Like his no. teeth are at the end of the foam, Bill? No? Oh, okay. It is, but it's not foam. It's actually rotocast plastic. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's beautiful. But but it's funny because I've got pictures of me wearing it in um, Shanghai Disney, Disney World, Florida, Disneyland, Hong Kong Disney. I didn't have it when I went to Euro Disney. but And um, so then I've got a flatter version in case I get a chance to go to Euro or go to Hong Kong Disney but I'm not expecting it. I put it in my suitcase just in case. <laughs> I have to wear the hat. Okay, so Goofy's but your favorite I, character. My favorite film would actually be Fantasia. Okay. Yeah, I and, just, it, particularly The Rite of Spring. I love the whole movie, but I just, just love The Rite of Spring. It's just amazing. Is it the animation? Is it the special effects? Is it the story? Is it, what about The Rite of Spring? I think it's the combination. It all came together. I mean, for, certainly the music, Beethoven's Rite of Spring is amazing. And yeah. it's so visual in the sounds that it's telling you. But Do you really I also like the train was, ride? I was going to say when you go past the dinosaurs. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a second. I screwed that up. That's Rite of Spring. Yes. Dinosaurs. Pastoral Symphony. Beethoven's oh, Symphony, yeah. The, symphony. the one with the centaurs and everyone. Centaurs and centaurs. Okay. That's my okay. favorite story. Yeah, I'm telling <laughs> you about the three dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe you, I mean, I love the dinosaurs. So that's why I was like, okay, that's fine. 
But of course, for me, like I like Mountain Ball Mountain just because it's so over commercialized. I feel like as a child, I was basically told what I do and do not like because of the commercials, because of the marketing. And I think that we have a lot of, you know, you to think basically because, you know, it was your marketing and your genius that was behind a lot of these toy sets that gave me such happiness as a child. And I think that also, you know, when you're talking about what inspired you and how you love the G.I. Joe figures or how, you know, the love of changing costumes. Now, that was also something that was very unique in that, at least for me, regarding the Disney Classics line, I love them so much because it had the entire family. Like you didn't just buy the Cinderella doll. No, you had the prince. You could buy the stepmother and the fairy godmother mask. Like you could tell the story through your dolls. And that's exactly what I did. Like I used the audio, the stories, the sound effects, things like that to basically do like little plays for my sisters using the dolls. So it was like, you know, little yes. theater over here. And that that's exactly <laughs> what I did. And so when it came to like using, you know, the Cinderella rags um, set or the pink dress set, like I did all the scene changes with the doll. Like, okay, now it's time for this set. Let's put this on. Now let's change this. And now we have this costume on. And exactly like how you said, you know, being a costume designer, it really obviously helped you because you saw the need for costume changes, not just single, you know, just the single dress like I mean even Snow White the fact that you can change her dress into the rags like for me yeah. that blew my mind when that doll came with that because you never ever see Snow White in her rags and so yeah. it was like oh like look it's a storytelling feature she's in her rags then she runs away into the forest she meets the you know the seven dwarves and one thing honestly I was really sad about with Snow White was that it did not have the prince and I know he doesn't have a big role but I was so excited when in later years, I think it was Disneyland that released a Prince doll. And I think that other editions had a Prince doll, but it was not with that particular one. So I was really upset. <laughs> I did design one though. Oh, did oh, you? He's like yeah, my favorite I've... forgotten Disney yeah. character. I, I, I'll have to get you a bunch of pictures. Please do. Of... Because I was so <laughs> upset that they never came with the Prince. <laughs> well, she it was never happily ever after. Yeah. And on that one, the problem was there was already other princes. There was a Prince Philip. There was a Prince Charming. And in the Barbie world, it's kind of funny. Ken is considered an accessory, really, not really. a doll. And so it was thinking <laughs> there was two settings to me. <laughs> yeah. And so I I made the stacking dwarves as the equivalent of the prince item. Right. So she had someone to dance with, and I used to make sure that the two dwarves were this could work in both sets. Um, actually, let me get back to something else that you were saying a moment ago. With the you're you're dead on about costumes, and I was a very different. I am a very different toy designer than anyone else because of that costume background. Because when I worked on those Disney properties, I considered the movie my script. You don't deviate from the script you bring the script to life with your costumes. And in this case, I brought the storyline, the play to the children by making sure I was following the storyline exactly and hitting the high cues. And one of my favorite stories with Cinderella, I made that dress very carefully, the pink one you were saying, the kind of the, the rags dress. And um, 
I was showing this for the very first time to the Disney, Disney licensing group. And I showed it and I had it all timed perfectly where I had all the parts out. And I'm like, so the children can make a lovely dress for Cinderella. And so I'd start going, I had the whole thing timed out was I was putting on, you know, the bows, I'm putting on the ribbons, I'm putting on the pearls and everything. And then and at the end, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, I had it all done. <clears throat> and they laughed and they loved it. And then just after I finished, the senior VP and the executive VP walked into the room. And, and, and the junior staff was like, Greg, would you um, like to present that again? And so I'm thinking, okay, but I better behave myself this time. So I started doing it and I got about three seconds into it and they said, stop. Do it again. Start over with the music. <laughs> <laughs> they had heard about your performance. Yeah, they had. Well, it was that that group had just watched it, and then their bosses came in the room, and they wanted their bosses to see the same effect. I got gotcha. the true yeah. presentation. Yeah, it was. I was. I always push things way over the top in my presentations. So. Um, but that's probably I why I sold those items. I mean, you have, yeah. you know, the love for it. And that's truly what always sells an idea is when someone's passionate about it. I had actually, this was weird. They don't do this at the time anymore, but Musker and Clemens were the directors for Aladdin. They let me give the presentation myself to them. And, um, and I'm showing them all the toys I had planned for Aladdin. And I was showing them the, the original flying carpet, which, I didn't have their designs yet, but I made it so it had offset wheels and would wobble as you pushed it. And it had like fringe off the side. So it looked like it was flying and I had them, it wouldn't work on the tabletop. So I, I managed to convince these two very big, important directors to look at me on the floor as I'm using it on the carpet, showing it work. <laughs> I, I managed to get people to do things they wouldn't normally do just by being a kid and being excited. Mm-hmm. So your enthusiasm really carried through those ideas. I mean, to, you know, people as important as like John Musker and Ron Clements, you know, yeah. like huge names in animation. Yes. That's incredible. Um, that is. It's funny because on, on my business card, it says for actually my, not my business, on my, um, what do you call it, uh, resume. It has four things at the top. It says integrity. Eagle Scout earned such and such date. It says um, creativity. It lists patent numbers. And then it says enthusiasm. Nobody wants to follow my presentations. <laughs> <laughs> so many times, at, particularly at Kenner, I would be giving a presentation and there would be several other ones scheduled to happen before lunch. And they'd be like, yeah, I think now's a good time to stop for lunch now that Greg stopped because no one could follow me. <laughs> I would do such wild things um, and pull things out of my pocket. Mattel, I was known for pulling things out of my pocket at the last minute. Do you have an example of that? Gosh, I did it so many times. I'm <laughs> Basically, like you had an idea and you thought it was perfect. And then at the last minute, you kind of thought, well, wait, we could plus this by adding this feature. And then you yeah, did. And, so, I, and, and you I would literally have it in my pocket. 
and I'd wait for them to say, well, why don't you do this? And I'd say, well, funny you thought of that. And I'd pull it out of my back. <laughs> and I, I would kind of set them up. I would drive them for what was going to happen. And then they would, you know, they'd, they'd give me the cue and I'd say, yeah, you know, that's a really good idea. And I'd show it to them. Um, happened over and over again. So they were finally like, so what'd you bring in your pockets today? <laughs> Just empty out the pockets first and then we'll go from that's there. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I mean, I think that we should move on from the Disney line as much as I love talking about it. However, I think that this does go into Jewel Riders. Now, there was the Disney musical princesses. So I'm assuming, did you also have something to do with the musical and the perfume princesses or were they just available to you? No, the musical princesses I started also. They were originally, Mattel had looked at doing a, a line that was Wonder Woman and the Star Riders. Star Riders. And they they showed it at Toy Fair. It didn't go over very well. But one they of, had already one tooled of my the very favorite not produced things. Yes. Yes. It it has the is that the Shira like ninja type of tiger Jaro like they use for Tanko? And is that the Pearl Rider type of horse as well? Or was that already being used by another brand so i mean that, everything that horse was developed i believe for she-ra correct me if i'm wrong greg you're wrong <laughs> um so it's I very similar <laughs> because it was actually it was they created special new horses for wonder woman and the the star riders and they created a new panther for that too oh and the okay. panther was one of the few items that they actually put into they finished the tooling on and um, and they like, they never made the castle. There was only like one model ever made of that castle. And uh, it was one of the very first intentional female empowerment lines. And I, but I loved the bodies. I thought they were gorgeous. And at the time I was just taken off of fashion dolls for Disney. They decided even though the guy had created the line and came up with it and ran it for five years, let's give it to someone else. Eh, that's, so, always the way. that's so upsetting. Yeah. So I was doing small dolls for Disney, which I did the, the musical um, and the, musical did you do the perfume as well? It was done right after I left. Oh, okay. Because it's basically the same doll. Right. It is. They just have different functions. Well, you had mentioned about Disney Park exclusives. I think that some of those were made exclusively for Disney Parks, like the Ariel and the Mary Poppins. I don't think that those were sold at retail, at least of like the the musical ones, because I only ever remember seeing those at parks, not in the stores. But I could be wrong. I just don't remember those. I Yeah, at th that time I was gone, so I don't know where it was distributed. But I like, gotcha. Like we made all of the stuff at the very beginning, and then some of them they decided it, this was actually funny to me because the marketing people decided, well, I don't think enough people really want Mary Poppins, and so <laughs> they 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 said, well, we can use that for the Disney parks. The Disney parks ended up buying instead of like they they bought ten thousand Pirates of the Caribbean, twelve thousand. Um, Davy Crockett's and like 68,000 Mary Poppins mm -hmm. and blew them right through. Exactly. Oh, those are still one of the more 
um, collectible of them. Like still people really like the Mary Poppins dolls because again, just like Blue Aurora, now she's rare. So it's yeah. the same thing with like Peter and Wendy. Like people love those dolls because they are rare. Yeah. And I made sure on um, Mary to have the head of her umbrella, you can actually move it so you can pretend it's talking and say, oh, Mary Poppins, you've fallen in love with those kids again. <laughs> I can only imagine you giving all these toy presentations. They would be delightful to listen to. I, I, did, I was doing voices, too. I, there was a, um, I did a, a genie that that you could stretch and rearrange and so i would do ten thousand years is such a crick in the neck <laughs> and so many of the prototypes too actually had my voices like i did a goofy that was an exercise goofy and he had a he had a jiggle switch in him so if you moved him in different ways he would do different things so you could stretch him and be like oh gosh or and I got to do all of those voices, and it was just a blast. Sounds like a dream come true. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because I actually did, with all the prototype toys I did with voices in them, my voice is only in two toys. Oh. I am the MP for G.I. Joe, where I get to say, slow it down, advance to be recognized, halt. <laughs> um, and then, actually, there was another G.I. Joe that had a gun it was a automatic grenade launcher and the gun makes gun sounds and then after you stop pressing the button it had a couple phrases like move troops forward target destroyed you know that was just kind of funny all of the i don't know how many times i did the voices and those are the only two that actually worked on it but at least gi joe which you love the most Exactly. Well, actually, and it's funny, too, because they talked about you know, so many of the designers actually had heads done of them that it's a G.I. Joe head, and it's actually that particular designer. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything like that? I don't, and it was discussed. Well, should we use Greg's head? And I was like, no. I'm like, this is not a hero head. Okay. <laughs> I, I love G.I. Joe, would love it, but that this isn't this head would not make it look like G.I. Joe, but... I was very happy to do the voice because I can do the G.I. Joe voice. Right. And the funny thing, too, is because I've had several of those models and I had them in the barn where I had a bunch of my toys. Not old wooden barn, warehouse type barn because I have too many toys. Um, but I'd go move a box and my box would yell at me in my voice, stop, advance to be recognized. <laughs> so my toys would yell at me, which is kind of funny. I can only imagine how many toys you actually have in this said barn. It's Greg's toy barn over here. <laughs> so now you said Wonder Woman and the Star Riders was created first, and then the musical dolls were created from that, or was it vice versa? That's correct. It was first made for uh, Wonder Woman, and then it didn't sell. So I immediately jumped onto the tooling and used it. Okay. And in fact, all the original dolls were made from that. You know, it's interesting, again, how we say, you know, things get recycled and reimagined. And you're like, oh, well, this worked here. And now let's reuse this. Because then, so basically, Wonder Woman and the Star Riders was kind of the mother, as you will, of Jewel Riders then. Because then you turned around and used who we think the Jasmine 
body for the musical princess and tooled it for the Guinevere. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, so let's pause for one second. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Give me give me two minutes. Okay. Okay. Time to drink water. I know. It's <laughs> interesting. Star Riders is basically like the the uh, well from which Tenko and Jewel Riders in some ver- way spring. Mm-hmm. I just, well, I'm, I, I just love, I could geek out more on the whole Disney thing as you Yes, <laughs> yes. But it was true. I was always disappointed that the Snow White set never had a prince. I know. You know, they made, I was shocked they made that limited edition doll of the prince like a few years ago. Well, they make him now. Well, now, but, but for still a long often. time. Well, the Disney store still has him in like the basic doll sets. Well, yes, because he probably oh. never sells. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, like, before then, it was really hard to find him. So I remember when I right. found him as a wedding set at the Disneyland, I think it was. I was really excited for that. But, I mean, I'm remembering all the ones that he's talking about, like the Davy Crockett one, the Pirate Captain one. I, have you seen those? The Pirate I was actually one? just looking at them on <clears throat> his website. I've never actually seen them before. I have the the Captain one, although the, the window is yellowed and i'm upset at that but i mean i remember like seeing those when i was there with daddy and like i want all of these and he (laughs) wouldn't buy me all of them the only one that he did buy me was the um why won't you buy them for me exactly (laughs) why won't you all right i'm back okay Okay. we were just actually reminiscing about the disney dolls again but i was i was telling him saying you know i remember going to disneyland and when i was asked about what I wanted as a gift, you know, as a takeaway souvenir, <clears throat> excuse me. And I remember, I mean, those were the toys that I really wanted. Like I remember seeing, even though I didn't really identify with like, let's say Davy Crockett, I still wanted it because it completed my collection. It was like, well, I want all these because these are the Disney exclusive ones. And I also remember like the um, day at Disneyland Barbie. So they had, or parks Barbie or whatever it was, but like she had like, the Mickey balloon and like the Mickey purse and like, you know, like all the memorabilia that it was like, Oh, like she's buying the things that I'm buying. Yes. <laughs> she had a Mickey was, hat, I think too. They all had Mickey hats. Exactly. They all had Mickey hats and they all had balloons. I, I was, I worked on that line. I wasn't, I was kind of a lead designer on that. Although someone else did a lot of the work. But I kind of started the direction and it was like, okay, we're going to give them all Mickey balloons. We're going to give them all Mickey hats. Then we're going to put them in Mickey fashions. So I think I kind of set this, the tone for it. And then someone else actually did the rest of the work while I was doing something else. But it still has you on it. Did Now, random – okay, I, we will go back to Jewel Riders, I promise. But um, why did – Ariel not become part of the Mattel group until later. Was it because Tyco still had the licensing rights? Bingo. Okay. And the funny thing is, I actually made a, an Ariel doll and showed it in that set of the Ten Worlds. Oh, is, I wish it would have been there. Yeah, it was funny because what was wrong, because the first year, Tyco doll was terrible. If you ever <laughs> see it, it was horrible. They're we not great. It's yeah. they, the horrible had, coloring, the awful, yes. like, orangish hair. Yes. They they had told Disney, well, dolls with red hair don't sell, so we're not going to make it in red hair. We're going to make it in 
Auburn hair. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so when they showed when when the Disney people saw mine, and I'm like, so, and if you gave us Ariel, you could do a much better job. And they were they were they were stewing. You could tell they were not amused, not at me. They were and they were like, no, we're fixing that doll this year. And they did. <laughs> they, did. they did. I mean, that she, doll quickly changed. I remember. Then they came out with the redheaded Tycho doll. Yeah, and she looked like Ariel. It was right. beautiful. But yeah. the problem was is that the other ones were 11 and a half inches, and then this Ariel was still like a shrimp compared to them. <laughs> like, I never understood why Tycho – they didn't even try to copy Mattel to make her 11 and a half inches. They just made her like – I don't know. She's like eight inches or something like that or yeah, like seven. Weird. Yeah. Okay, so now we're moving on. So we were talking about how – it looks like Wonder Woman, the Star Writers, was kind of the, you know, the birthplace for the Disney musical princesses, which later became Joel Writers and also Tanko as well. So I'm take it you were working, I, I don't even know, were you working on Enchanted Kamala or Tanko around the same time or what, how did that happen? Actually, there's one other funny little thing, note that has to happen in here first, has to be mentioned, okay. which was while I was still working at Mattel, Someone handed me a script and said, hey, review this, see what you think. The script and some, some story pages. And it was actually for Dragon Riders of Pern. Yes, this okay. is a very interesting yes. side note, but I'd love to hear more about it. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm I'm a huge Dragon Riders yeah. of Pern. As, as am I. Huge, huge. Yeah, I just... It, someone had described it the other day opening those books and it's kind of like visiting with an old friend you know these these characters that, that are just beloved but but i digress so i got this i read it through went to my bosses and said this is amazing we have to do this and then i didn't really hear much about it after that and and a t-shirt appeared on my desk one day that said dragon riders of pern and i don't know whoever put it there but i still have it and and but then shortly after that i left mattel I left Mattel to take the job at Kenner. So right after finishing the Disney Musical Princesses, before starting the, I didn't do the the perfume. I might have actually, I probably had some influence on it. And and the the young woman who took over after me, she was actually a costume designer too. She actually used to work for Bob Mackie, and she was wonderful. But um, and also in there, real quick, there was the Lion King. Jungle Babies line, which actually won Disney Consumer Product of the Year Award, which which I'm still very proud of. And those are really, really cute if you ever get a chance. Just beautiful little baby figures that all have nurturing features. So I go to Mattel, and I'm still at the beginning. I'm working on – shoot, I can't even remember what I was working on at the beginning. But anyway – what what Kenner did was they would do market research tests and you would put together quickly a rough line and then they would put it in focus groups and see how it worked. And at this one point early on in my career there, they gave me two different properties. One was Princess Tenko. And I made a full set of Princess Tenko dolls. Each one of the Princess Tenko dolls had a magic trick in it that a child could do. Things like a bird that disappears from a birdcage, a, um, 
a way to get out of a lock and chains. Very cute. But I used the dolls that I had made for Disney musical princesses because they were just the right size. And I loved those. From the moment I saw them, I knew this is a great size toy and shape for a, a, a young girl. And so I, I loved it. But if I could uh, pause for a second, because of the fact that you love the 11 and a half inch fashion dolls so much, what made you fall in love now with a shorter size? I'm not even sure what size these are, but I mean, for me personally, like because Jewel Riders was that size, that's why I did like Tanko and I liked the musical princesses and things like that that were that size. But it just felt like at this time, all of a sudden, like all the dolls that I loved shrank. Like they went from being 11 and a half inches to like, you know, seven inches or something. So was there a reason for you personally why we should shrink dolls basically? No, the real reason was money. Okay. Because right. the, I'm sure that the tooling costs were less. And... Well, the biggest issue was, you know, like, like G.I. Joe, when G.I. Joe first came out, it was like, I think it was two or three dollars. And towards the end of G.I. Joe, it was, for a talking one, it was $10. And the price of plastic shot up, and people just were not willing to pay that much anymore. And Now, does this all go hand-in-hand hand with, like, the gas prices of the, the late yes. 70s? And the, so, exactly. you know, for people who don't know that, that plastic is a byproduct of gas. Yeah. Yeah. The the Marks, now I know. <laughs> the Marks Toy Company was responsible at one time for one third of all toy sales in the world. Okay. Huge. They were the biggest toy company at the time. But um, almost all of their toys were solid plastic. There was hardly any soft goods and there was a little bit of metal. And so when the oil embargoes and the gas lines started getting long, the price of plastic went up and their toys, their prices had to double. And it killed that company, what was left of the company, um, because it was all solid plastic. Mm. So every time I've had a chance to push back and say, let's make a 12 inch figure, um, I did. In fact, uh, to diverge just one moment more, I had the opportunity to build a bunch of toys for Prince Caspian from Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. And I was making a full-size Aslan audio animatronic. I was making a little plush, big plush, all these different things. And then on the list of things I saw that, that they were still having people work on was a set of act, was fashion dolls and action figures, 12-inch for Prince Caspian that they hadn't assigned to anyone. And I was a vendor. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a second, this is on your list of what you want me to do and you haven't handed it to me? <laughs> and they were like, well, we thought you'd be too busy. I'm like, I don't care. I'll find time to get this done. You, you assign this to me now. And I made beautiful, you know, Queen Lucy, Queen... Oh, forgot her forgot Susan? Her Susan, thank you. And, and King Peter and King Edmund and... Prince Caspian and a uh, Taraz, King 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 Taraz, the bad guy. Anyway, 
um, they were beautiful. But I had to fight to do them. I always fought for doing a 12 inch any chance I got. But now to little... clarify, was that for the live action or was this for a different Chronicles of Narnia? No, it was live action. Okay, this I, is live action. Yeah. Okay. The recent live action. Yeah, the yeah I just wasn't sure because I mean that that is a movie that has often seen different iterations of the Snow Queen and other things. Yes. Yes, they haven't. Yeah, they they definitely had different versions of the of of Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. sorry, as you were. That's okay. So <laughs> so going back to Princess Guinevere again. So I was asked to do a whole line of Princess Tenko, and then another property came in called Enchanted Camelot. And I looked at this and thought, I looked through the script, I looked at the the pages of what they had, and it was neat. There was a lot of fun stuff, and I'm like, but it doesn't have a look. In fact, they were actually wearing biker helmets at the time. Um, I didn't really like the biker helmets, but Robert Mandel thought they looked cool. <laughs> so um, what I did well, was... Well, he's also coming from more, I don't want to say boy cartoons, but a lot of his stuff was a lot more like superhero, action-driven, things like that. So oh, that absolutely. probably played in, you know, into the whole non-fashion. Yeah, I mean, he he did the Ace Ventura line. He did, what was the cowboy line? Uh, March, not Marshall Brave Star. Or was it Marshall Brave? No, it was a different one. It was, it was like Galaxy Rangers. Galaxy Rangers, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So he did a lot more boy stuff. So when this one came along, I wanted a unique look. And I think you posted pictures of those actual presentation models, which is cool that you found the pictures but i i made i wanted them to have special jewel armor and so all their armor in that first set was metallic all bright metallic and there was a lot of um uh, also it was metallic with with lace and sheer which which was a whole new look at the time no one had done anything really like that and can you explain a little bit like what you mean by that With the original dolls, I made breastplates for them that were metallic, that looked like, you know, knight armor, but they were breastplates. But then out of the edge of the breastplates, you saw, you know, shimmering, sparkly fabric and and a lightness. It, It was actually a nice, delicate balance between the fluffiness, you know, almost like the feminine quality, but with a harder edge to it showing the strength. Okay. And it was, it was that balance that really worked. And when the reports came back from what people liked, it was the clear winner. And um, I thought that it was funny that Princess Tenko was then picked up by Mattel and Chances are, Mattel probably picked it up because they heard we were that Kenner was doing a four-inch female fashion doll. Because they did that a lot. If they heard something else was happening, they they did a Barbie version of it just to stomp on it. Yes, I mean the classic example, of course, being Barbie and the Rockers to try and stamp out Jem. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's funny because if you've watched the the TV shows, the the toys that made us. Yeah, fabulous show. Way. Yeah, it is funny. I highly recommend it. 
Yes, great. I, I haven't seen the last four episodes yet. I'm dying to see those. But it was funny because the first eight, I felt like well, it was like old home week. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I haven't seen Judy in years. I haven't yeah. seen Jill Broad in years. All these people in all of these shows. It was really funny. One time, it was funny because I think, oh, it was it was the episode about the Star Wars figures, I think. And I'm looking, they were interviewing the head of sales, Pete, forgot his last name. I'm looking in the background, I'm going, I know those books, I know those toys, I know that location. And it turned out it was being filmed at a design studio in, in Cincinnati that I had worked with for many, many, many years. And, and one of the head guys there was a big toy collector, so I have traded him toys for years. And so some, some of the weird toys in my old collection were on that shelf behind this guy, besides some of the catalogs and things that I had traded back and forth. So it was really kind of funny going, I know those shelves, you know, just, just on that. <laughs> hey, that's all my stuff, basically. all yeah. of Some right? of it was, yeah. So but it was funny because they, they did an interview with Judy Shackelford, who was running Barbie at the time. She was the head of marketing when I first started. And she made the comment in there about, you know, if my, me and my team had been there when Bratz was around, it never would have become what it did. We would have stopped. Oh, wow. She said something like that, and she would have. I mean, she she would have made sure that happened. Because um, she basically would have created something for Barbie to block out what exactly. Bratz was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you That's feel what... that, just randomly, do you feel that Jewel Riders – if they didn't necessarily become a big enough threat to Mattel, do you think that they picked up? Now you're saying that you think that they picked up Tanko because they heard that Kenner was working on something that was Arthurian magical girl superhero? That's my theory. Okay. And I, I wasn't there at the time, so I don't have the absolute proof. But right. Knowing but knowing the company, knowing the people that were there. Yeah. They okay. would, they would, and this is probably not nice. <laughs> but it's business. They would often hold the rights to properties, not because they wanted it, but because they didn't want it on the market. And so they True. would pay and act like they were going to buy it. You know, well, so many they, studios still do that to this day. Yeah. Yeah. It's very upsetting. <laughs> That's the way it is. So the funny thing is, so then obviously Enchanted Camelot became the high seller, but it, the high score in the testing with kids. And it also they tested with adults too, with moms, with parents. But it wasn't, they knew it wasn't quite good enough. It was a nice new look. There's a lot going on here. And Robert Mandel was willing to work with us on anything that would make his show better. And so I got to work directly with Robert Mandel to make all this stuff. And not only so, like we redesigned the characters from what they had. And uh, actually it was, it was my art direction and costume design with another person's um, drawing abilities. You know, I, let me stop for a second here and say, cause she's absolutely one of the best illustrators ever. I don't typically name names of other people in the toy industry unless they've been on like shows where Judy Shackelford's name was listed because a lot of people 
in the toy industry don't want the attention. And um, like if anyone finds out that you were a Kenner during the Star Wars years and they get your phone number, you're going to have to change your phone number. Right, because there's <laughs> obsessive fans. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't give names unless they've already put their name out there. So anyway, this uh, worked with a marvelous illustrator, and we, we got the look we wanted, and they approved it. And um, uh, it had great features. Obviously, you guys know all the features that are in there. It's funny because when I first made the, the first Princess Guinevere dolls with the light feature where the there was a light, pop, light pipe on top of the head that would light up mm-hmm. the chest in the middle when, when you moved her visor down. When I first showed those models, they were like, we can't afford that. It's got a light in it. I'm like, ha ha, <laughs> no light, you know, it, which was actually a feature that I borrowed from one of my favorite toys, which was one of the last GI Joes made was a knockoff of $6 million man called the, called, uh, Mike Power, Atomic Man. And, uh, but he had a light pipe in the top of his head that would go to his eyeball, and you could barely see it. You barely noticed it was there, but you could, if you put your finger over it, it looked dark. If you took your finger off and there was light up above it, it, it he made his, light, his eye light up. So I used that, and um, people were really, it was really, really caught people off guard. They thought I put a light in it. Um, it was just an old trick. I still, I used so many old toys from what I played with that, you know, it was always coming up with new stuff um, from old toys. Well, I think that's the whole reason why toys like this are successful, because it was taking something that you enjoyed as a child. Again, being a child at heart, you're like, oh, I remember I really liked this feature. This was really cool. Let me do it again. And because kids hadn't been introduced yet in this particular wave of time period, so then you reintroduced it. And it's just like it's an old trick, but it still holds up. And I think that that's one of the main things to remember about toys is that, again, like how you said before, it's about storytelling. It's about how attractive the toy is, but it's also about relatability, you know. And so you had mentioned something about early on about armor, and you said that we would get back to that. I don't know if that goes in with the prototypes or if that goes in later. Okay. So I – because I loved my Mark's 12-inch Noble Knights, and they had all these different pieces of armor, when after the after the initial presentation models for Princess Guinevere or Enchanted Camelot, then I could make the real toy because those were just kind of thrown together, um, and so then I could start designing them. And so I loved what was happening on the on the toys with the full armor. And so I made the Princess Guinevere figures with the armor that even though it was on one figure, you could go back. And if you had the jewel power Princess Guinevere, and if you had, I forget, I forgot the names. Like that they Tamara had. or Fallon. Well, I was thinking of the, the price groups because you, we had oh, basic. Jewel Adventure is, the, yeah, Jewel Adventure is the more expensive price point. But on, yes. On many of those, you could switch the switch the armor pieces. So you take one figure, you could put a bunch of armor on her, and that was one of the things I wanted to do. Was right. just keep. I wanted to make it so you could mix and match the armor because I thought, you know, I, total armor like that was cool, and and it was definitely my push 
that said, no, the armor isn't armor. It's actually the jewel power manifested, you know, in kind of the same way that Green Lantern can, you know, use the power from his ring to make, you know, giant bulldozer or whatever, that the power from the, the, the power jewels would manifest itself on them as jewel armor that's actually magic that you're just seeing the manifestation of magic and i thought that was fun and that's why all the armor is clear because i wanted it to look like power magic instead of just you know plate armor you know manufactured out of steel and so that also helped give a look that just wasn't out there at that time so we used clear everywhere i could to make it look like magic and then we also used pearl additives everywhere else and we, we used all the bodies from the musical princesses were the same they only changed the heads because and they were all if you look at their feet all like you know supergirl type boots right and um so when we went to Kenner, when I was at Kenner, then I used this, I used those figures for the presentation models. But if we were sculpting new figures, I wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little stiffness. I wanted a little bit more of a natural pose. And so all of the all of them had a little bit of a, a bent knee on one side and a crooked arm, so that it looked more natural standing. And you did mention that about their poses. I know as a child, that is one of the features that I always loved to look at was the fact that they didn't just stand like how Barbie stands where you're like, you know, she's kind of flat. It's like, no, they already had articulation. So I, I always enjoyed that. Now I did have a question regarding Drake. So for the male figure, did that come about? Okay. Two parts to this question. Did it come about because you saw him as an integral part of the storytelling with the role play? Or did you just see it as, well, they need a boy figure, kind of like how we made the princes? And second part of that is, where did you do the sculpting from? Did he come from like a former toy or was he kind of just made up? Okay, so on that one, those characters were in the script. So, and actually Robert Mandel was a little bummed that we didn't make the other boys. We only made the one. So was I. <laughs> yeah. So you wanted to make all three of them. I, I would have, yeah. And by the way, one of the, one of the odd things, too, was um, they weren't all originally on horses. You know, originally I put a, like a purple lion with what became Fallon. And, of course, the unicorn was always with Gwen. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't think it had wings originally. It didn't. It didn't have wings originally. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I remember in the early Enchanted Camelot pictures that we've seen, uh, the the horse who is, I believe named Amber at that point does not have yes, wings. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then there was we made a wolf sculpting of um, a, a wolf running, which was kind of cool. Uh, and then there were some smaller animals that we did too. They were just really quick, just to do a smaller price point, more like a um, littlest pet shop type of a thing. And at one time, I put 
pushed for putting a one of the characters on a um, an elk. Um, an, but, elk. an elk. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I well, see. I, I would have loved just, that. Yeah, but Robert hated it. <laughs> it went away. It's like it's his job. He got to decide those things. He's the director. Because mm-hmm. uh, originally I had a, a panther and elk. I think the elk was for Tamara, which was originally. Very we can't thank Greg enough for coming by and chatting with us, and we hope you all look forward to episode two, where we finish our conversation. Have a magical day. 